So welcome back to part two of this end of season review, uh, where we are just about at the Liverpool away game. Um, I'm back to discuss that and ask Mark Elliott's thoughts on the, the game and, and what it meant to the club and I suppose how disappointing it was really in the end. Um, so yeah, if you haven't listened to part one, I suggest you go back and have a little listen to us reviewing the season up to this point. But yes, I'll throw you straight back into the action now. Goldborn. A good cross actually, and they score through Wally. First sight they've had of the Liverpool goal, and Shrewsbury Town have taken it. Sean Wally. Yeah, um, I think looking at it is a day, and we went really early, and it felt like a nailed on brilliant night because there was no way they weren't going to win. Um, and, very confident. And, yeah, well, you know, they, they were playing Liverpool's under nine, yeah. and you know, there was there was no way they. It was a checker trade game essentially. Mm. Um, and yes, I know Man City have turned up in the checker trade with their kids and looked looked decent, but I don't know. It, it, to but say there's no way they weren't going to win, I'm yeah. exaggerating. But they did. Dave Edwards say chance. it was the most embarrassing game he's ever played in. Who was that? It, Dave yeah, Edwards it, said it's the most embarrassed he's ever been on the football pitch. Well, as a grown man, an experienced international footballer, to lose against an under-20 side, it, and the amount of respect that we gave him during that match, the amount we stood off, the amount Aesthetic. we let him play and get comfortable on the ball, was shambolic. It was, that's what I mean about the natural conservatism, with a small c, of, of Sam Ricketts. And I think in the, in the home game, they, they went for him a bit more. And against Bristol City, they went, went for them a little bit more than they had been in the league. And that's where people start going, OK, we, we have got this in us a little bit. But, you know, they, they turned up at Anfield and, and it was full, which was great. And Liverpool obviously had some good players in their team. But, but Town, whether it was fatigue or whether it was stage fright or whether it was an overly conservative approach, they didn't turn up and they got beat. And what summed up that game for me so, Sean Worley, Liverpool fan, um, obviously gets his goal ruled out. Now, VAR is checking for offside here. Let's have a look. Does this tell us anything definitively? That doesn't look offside. Mm, close. <laughs> he then um, he then gets injured, and as he's going off to be substituted, the Anfield big screen spells his name wrong, <laughs> and I just thought, <laughs> bad night. Sums it up for him. Sums it up for for Shrewsbury Town. The the own goal was uh, yeah, comical. Just, yeah, yeah. I think you know keeper centre half. I'd probably mo- a, a bit more blame on the goalkeeper um, than yeah. Roche he got dropped didn't he after that but, game. Yeah, the, the the whole thing was just was was just really disappointing. And the biggest disappointment, I think, was the fact that because Liverpool had almost said, "Here's a bye, we're sacking this off," um, the fact that Town had drawn Chelsea away, mm. that would have been the reward for holding yeah. Liverpool at home, if that mm. makes sense. So you'd have had the tourist experience at Anfield, and it would have been nice. But the proper cup tie would have been Chelsea at Stamford Bridge, and to lose that essentially ended the season to all intents yeah. and purposes. It did. It, I t- totally agree. 
It exposed. I was really a, looking forward a, to that Chelsea game. It exposed game. a big problem with me for Sam Rickards is tactical naivety. Like, what is the one thing you don't do with, against the kids at a full Anfield? You don't let them get comfortable on the ball. You don't give yeah. them the time to to get their touches, to get the passes in, to to get happy. You get in their faces and you get up at them. And we you did bully not them. put any pressure on their team. We sat twenty yards off for the entire game, and even when they went one up. We, we didn't change we didn't change our dynamism we didn't change the way we approached them it, it, it was that for 90 minutes there was absolutely nothing in it for us you could see from the first five minutes we weren't going to compete it was because I managed like I said I wasn't there I, I had the flu what might have been coronavirus um, but no, I, managed no. to get, I managed to get it on a on one of them dodgy app feeds um, and it was I, I couldn't believe what I was watching I was so happy not to be there frankly yeah. And I was going to say, Ollie, that I've been to the Emirates. I've been to, you know, um, Southampton's ground when we played them in the FA Cup. I'm trying to think of other big games I've been to away where we played them. And, and generally, we've lost against big teams. You know, no one's expecting us to go and win at the Emirates or Anfield, generally. Um, but in all those games, I've been around town fans and it's like, we got this far. We had to go. We kind of stood up to a bigger team. And there was a kind of begrudging, oh, that's it. That's the situation we're in. And we had to go and, and you can't really fault the players. Not that night, you know, you two weren't there. I left there and everybody was just livid about the whole experience. Oh, yeah. And that's why, that's why I have it right up there for me. You know, that's not hyperbole. And I don't really want to say much more because I remember the podcast we did about this specific game, Ollie. And if anyone wants to know what I felt about it, it's worth a listen back because it's a lot of anger. But yeah, I, I'll just leave it there. I, well, do, you remember, I, I, do you remember Liverpool at home in the 90s? We paid them loads of respect and let them roll us over. And we did exactly the same. Yeah. yeah. And it was like, God, can we not just give Liverpool a game once ever? You know, Mike's not recognising their title win, guys. He's decided because of all this, he's not recognising their title win. Oh, yeah, yeah, we couldn't care less. Yeah, <laughs> one thing I would say there will never be a Liverpool team that plays in front of a friendlier full Anfield because they were kids. <laughs> yeah. the The crowds were totally with them. It was it was a bit of a a free one for them. And yeah, as you say, town stood off and they got some good players. Yeah, Curtis Jones is a quality player. Elliot's a quality player. You know, I, I like. Chiravella, whether he'll ever play in their first team or not, I don't know, but he looks decent. But yeah, I left I left as gutted as I've been after a game anywhere other than Wembley. Yeah, empty. Empty. Exactly like leaving Wembley. That's bang on that is Marcus McBear. We better leave Liverpool there because we can rant. No, just, yeah, that. just make but, one comment. On. So yes, yeah, so on the on the Liverpool game. So yeah, I was I wasn't there. And for me, I think this you know, we talk, we've criticised, me and Askey, we talked about is it the players, is it the manager? And there's times sometimes where you've got to say it's the players. Mm, and for time. me, this Liverpool thing was a bit quite a lot of the players. Yeah. Your, your, I don't know, Worley, Rochon, um, Laurent, um, Edwards, you know, you're on a pitch at Anfield and you can see that people are not putting it in. And if we were, yeah, if we, you said it, Mike, if it was one thing you expected, the one advantage, the two advantages maybe that Shrewsbury Town team had, one was experience and second was a bit of physicality. Yeah. They're the two things we had to do in that game. And I think if they'd done those two things, town fans wouldn't, wouldn't have been so livid. But I've never seen town fans so kind of upset but angry with the performance mm-hmm. of the town, town team. Because I, was, I went back to my hotel. I was watching social media coming through. And it was just people were really upset and really frustrated. And, and to be honest, that just kind of carried on, didn't it, into the rest of the season. And I think frustration, stubbornness, summed up Sam Ricketts up to this point. Um, he finally made a change, but for yes. me, it was far too late. Yeah, that I don't think it was a case of not, not putting it in necessarily, but I think, I think when, even when you're an experienced player and you've been playing in League 1 and League 2, you arrive at Anfield and it's a full Anfield and you get the... What was different about it from, 
a lot of the cup ties is normally they're half empty, but because of Liverpool's season and the feel good factor around Anfield, they filled it and, and you got, you'll never walk alone and you got the whole thing and it was under the lights and they were right behind their team. But I think we absolutely learned an awful lot about this Shrewsbury town team in that you can go one of two ways. You can say, we're going to spoil this party. And that, 17-year-old over there is not going to get the better of me because of professional pride. I'm a grown adult and I've got potentially the biggest game in my career in three weeks if we get through this. And I think whether it was under instruction, and I think part of it was by design, in fact a lot of it was by design, or whether it was because of being overawed, I think town retreated into their shell. And Mm. if you're Dave Edwards and... um, four years ago you're playing in the Euros, I can well imagine you can't understand that. No. Um, and I think there was quite a lot of, of that in, in his post-match reaction, which was absolutely from the heart. We had blokes out there with over 100 Football League appearances there, being bullied by kids who haven't made their debut for a first team yet. It's just, it's just mental, isn't it? I, I don't want to talk happen. about this game anymore. What a waste of time that was. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, this, this is taking me down a dark road I might not recover from until tomorrow now. But uh, going back to the thing that stood out from all that, he's, he's right. As soon as we left Anfield, Mark was right, we, the season was over. And we go into part six, Ollie, um, which basically took us into March, uh, sorry, February, and then just the first game of March, didn't it? And I, I suppose the season did kind of, you know, obviously get curtailed early. And, and there'll be people who were saying, because it was two wins and two losses in the last four games, there's a bit of a debate about whether we were getting better or worse. One thing that definitely happened during this period was Ricketts made two kind of changes. First of all, he went with the two up front and someone in the 10 with McElhaney. And then the second change was at one point, I think it was Doncaster with three or four games to go, we actually tried four at the back. So clearly... Ricketts must have reached that point where he was thinking now's time to try this out maybe for next season or I, I don't know what the re- reasoning behind it was I suppose maybe just results I suppose but he, but he did actually change it in the eye he did change it yeah he, he, we actually not just played that formation we also played like 4-3-3 three, three as well yeah, which did, is the yeah. first time I've seen my favourite football manager formation in, in front of my eyes at the Meadow <laughs> apart from opposition teams like Fleetwood who absolutely spanked us um, and it was embarrassing for our left flank that day um, when we were at home to Fleetwood but um, yeah we did show some tactical um, alterations and um, for me it was far too late and it does again this casts a big shadow over Ricketts um, in terms of his tactical stubbornness um, and his stubbornness not to change um, tactics or formation um, and finally see something a little bit different because yeah we went into this game so basically we called it part six so we've got MK Dons at home we drew one all Obviously, relegation and relegation fight. Yeah, we chucked that win away late on, didn't we? That was yeah. Daft. Accrington at home, we lost. Um, that was really Awful. poor. Um, Plymouth, <laughs> uh, Portsmouth, sorry, at home, we lost that 2 0. Then we had the freak win against Doncaster at home, where we won 1 0. Tramway yeah. at home, where we lost 3 2, was a diabolical performance. <laughs> um, Bristol Rovers away. Bristol Rovers, possibly the worst team I've seen all season. Um, they were dreadful. Um, and then we lost to Oxford um, 3-2. So we started off. to started to concede quite a few more goals in this period, but at least we did start to pick up some points. And yeah, obviously we, we ended we ended this period 16th. We ended um, 15th because Oxford was the last game on the 7th of March. Um, showed a bit of, yeah, a bit of tactical flexibility. But for me, this was a, a very poor end to the season, considering we went 10 games unbeaten up to this Doncaster win. Yeah, did you did you have that feeling, Mark, that things had changed and you were heading in a more direct, a positive direction with these tactical changes, or do you think it was just needs must? I don't know. 
No, I, th- I think it was searching for answers. I think the the penny had dropped that actually you can get so far playing the way they were. And when that starts to crumble as well, because of the pressure that's on your back line, because of the pressure that's on your strikers to take the one chance they get, because they're not going to get another one. I think once those cracks start to turn into the chasms, then you, you do start to struggle. And I think he, he made changes searching for answers in, in a sense to try and get his team to score more goals, to try and do the things that the, the fans wanted him to do. I think it became obvious that they weren't, they weren't going to be competitive. They weren't going to go down, but they weren't going to be competitive at the top end of the table. So I think it was, it was about trying to build some goodwill I think it was about trying to show something for next mm. season. I think it was about trying to to find some solutions to to problems that had become apparent. But as it's been a few times under Sam Ricketts, I think when he when he deviates from the the thought out plan that he has at the start of the season, it all gets a bit messy and a bit desperate. Mm. Having said that, that's not just him. I think a lot of teams who decide to rip it up halfway through a season. Um, find themselves in that position and, and town did it became very inconsistent as you would expect the question the question to you and to, to glint question to you and glint question to mike because i don't think mark can answer this question otherwise he might not be welcome back at the meadow um, but do you <laughs> think right. the tactical change was done well i think mark used a really good word there desperation desperate you see the word desperate desperation but do you think sam ricketts changed tactics because he wanted to or because he was forced to by the fans because the fans were chanting 4-4-2. Four, 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 yeah, it was, it, I think it was a forced change. He, he sacrificed defensive solidity on the altar of goal scoring. He needed to get some goals in the net to shut people up, basically. So, mm-hmm. he, like Mark said, he was throwing mud at the wall, just hoping something would stick. You know, some of the combinations we had up front, some of the different players played in different formations, he was desperately searching for something that would work and that would create more attractive football you know in hindsight you don't know if somebody's had a word from a bit higher brian or roland said look you know this is getting a bit toxic we need to see something a bit more entertaining here this is too stodgy too stayed people aren't aren't going to be interested in coming back and watching this week after week you know because those are the considerations of a football club with half an eye on the bottom line and trying to stay profitable you've got to keep people paying and coming through the door and all season almost from almost from the third fourth game people are saying this is boring it's turgid how am I going to turn up and watch this every week? I, I know three or four season ticket holders who made a handful of games this season purely because they couldn't be bothered with it. Um, and, and I think, yeah, purely the, ta- the tactical changes were enforced by pressure and it didn't really work either. None of the changes he made seemed to make us any better. Um, yeah. we, we conceded more goals. We scored slightly more goals. Like, you know, who cares? Net result I, I, I agree, Ollie, with Mike and Mark's points. I won't labour it too much more. I think they've covered it really well. But, um, yeah, to me, it was a case of everything we sat down and talked about at the start of the season with, with Sam Ricketts in that cordial meeting. And he showed us his tactics and overlapping centre-backs and trying to do what Sheffield United had done. Did anybody see time... an overlapping centre-back this season? Anybody I think, think, Pierre, I think Pierre got lost once. Pierre occasionally. Yeah, yeah never. that's it. Um, but, you know, we so got what, to March and I think yeah. he's realised that that wasn't going to happen with the players he had, yeah. particularly when he lost Giles and that doesn't give you that flexibility that playing goalborn as an attacking wing-back just wasn't really going to be the thing and Sam Hart didn't have the ability to do it and Donald Love's form fell off the edge of a cliff after Liverpool. So once that had happened, why not have a go at something different? We probably weren't going to get relegated at that point. It gave him the flexibility. In, in, in essence, the season getting caught up early is a shame. It would have been nice to see where this approach would have gone, what he might have ended up settling on, but now he hasn't had a chance to try that, which is probably a bit of a shame, really, for us. Two things. Don't get me started on 4-4-2, by the way. If you start calling for 4-4-2, 
to be more proactive, a universally reactive counter It's a big glint chant, that is. A very big glint yeah. chant. Yeah, but it's doing very well for Bournemouth. Get back to the game, Edo, and play 4-4-2. But, um, but what I would say is, Sam Ricketts has been in football, working in football, since he was, what, a teenager, I would imagine. And, and I think he was genuinely shocked that the fans wanted to be entertained. And I don't think that's as ridiculous <laughs> as it sounds. Seriously, so stick with me. Yeah. So his goal is to win and develop. So all the way through this season, he, John Pitts, the coaching staff, have been saying, stick with it, stick with it. We're building, we're on track. Next season, we'll start to attack. This season's for the defence. Next season, we'll start to attack. Not one of them, I don't think. And as, as savvy as they try and be PR-wise, I, I don't necessarily think it's their strong suit. And I genuinely think it was a surprise that, they, that supporters were complaining that while the results were okay by Shrewsbury Town standards historically in League One, that they weren't being entertained. And I suppose when you grow up and the only objective is to win and the only purpose of playing football and, and you know, being part of football is to win, I think you can see where that comes from. Having said that, you know, he's... Sam Ricketts is not a player who's interested in the art necessarily, in the in the creativity, in the in the the beauty of yeah. of the game. And I think his big learning curve this season, and he's a young manager, is he'll have discovered that actually results are not the be all and end all unless you top of the league by ten points. But he had that rocket last season, Mark, when we had that run of very dull games towards the end of the season. And he didn't, if he didn't learn that lesson then, he probably won't learn it this season, unfortunately. But the proof's in the pudding. What do you think, Mark? I was going to say, I mean, I wouldn't, if he was getting the wins, there wouldn't be a conversation because we'd have won games. And that's, yeah. what it all, and that's what it all sits on, is that yeah. you can talk as much as he wants about we're doing this, that and the other. If you're not winning games and you, you, that's what your aim is, then you're not doing a good job, frankly. Yeah, just, okay, Ollie, just one point on sorry, that as well. Ollie, I would stop this, like, because we're yeah, almost in five this minutes, section. Yeah. Save this. We'll come back on and do the last 10 well, I just minutes. I just want to add one comment to it. Just want to add one okay. final comment. You can edit this, and then, and then, and then we'll finish we'll it. And, we'll yeah. do it. and then we'll come back and do one more bit. Yeah, and I think there's one interesting point, Mark. I think Mark breaks a really, really interesting point there. Last season, because it got really toxic, we had the meeting. And we were told we were going to have those fan forum meetings, even if they were closed shop. <laughs> but I think it had been... Fascinating, and I think maybe it might have given the management team insight into the fans' behaviour a bit earlier. And I think Mark's point's really good, interesting. Yeah, that it was the fans were getting very frustrated, but they thought that their process and their 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 route was going. But I think maybe if they got or listened to the fans, maybe they would have not changed results quickly because such because you kind of respect them as a management team in some ways going for what they were doing. But yeah, it wasn't working, um, and yeah, entertainment was was crucial. So I think, yeah, it's a good summary of that last section of the season, Ollie, um, in terms of where we finished. And obviously, the season was curtailed um, due to the COVID-19 situation. We've all gone into lockdown and, and you know, not had haircuts for months now. Um, but, yeah, the season finished. And we found out last week, as we covered on our Salopcast update, um, sort of special we did last week, Ollie, that it finished on points per game, the whole of League One. And we ended up in 15th position. So we get a final position. The season is technically finished and it is a complete season now, even though we didn't finish all the games. Um, and I suppose, Ollie, you had a question really to kind of summarise everything we've talked about, to, to throw to all of us about the season in general and, and, and in comparison to, to where we were, I suppose. Yeah, so the question is, um, was this season more positive than last season? Um, yeah, I'll give my little answer first. 
yeah, not necessarily. <laughs> um, <laughs> some positives maybe, but overall, um, yeah, from what we could have achieved this season, I'd probably say no, it wasn't. Um, but yeah, Mike, what do you think? Do you think this season was more positive than last season? Um, I'm going to say no, because I'm no clearer on what really long-term Sam Ricketts is trying to achieve at the football club. So I think if you look at it in terms of the playing staff, I think we've got a more talented group of footballers. I think that some of the contracted footballers are actually very good. You look at the centre-halves, you look at Norburn, you look at a few of the other, uh, you know, Cummings as an attacker is, if we can get the best out of him, it's good. But I, I still think that even with the, the half a season he had after Askey and the f- nearly full season he's had this season, I'm no clearer where, where he's going with, with, with the players he's got at his disposal outside of a strong defensive unit and trying to nick a goal, which isn't something I want to watch every week. Um, mm. I'm, I'm not looking forward to the resumption of football with Sam Ricketts at the helm, unless he has a bit of a change of heart about how he approaches football, frankly. What about you, Mark? Um, I think there are two ways to look at it. I think if, if you ask the manager and the staff there, they will say... 15th historically is a good position for Shrewsbury Town in League One. It's progress and we're now looking at an established League One club or an establishing League One club and things are are far better than they were 12 months ago. I think the the squad is in a better place than it was this time last year. But again, I think it, it, I seem to say this every year when we do this, what's par (laughs) for Shrewsbury Town? And do I think 15th in League One is par for Shrewsbury Town? No, I don't. I think um, Town should be aiming higher up the league. If, you know, if, if you're a supporter that does, um, then you know, you, you'll be pretty pleased. One thing I will say is that that divide within the fan base of fans that think Town should be aiming higher and fans that don't, I think is a slight problem at the moment and is, is causing an issue um, in terms of the fan base pulling in the, the same direction and causes, frankly, my phone-ins or text-ins, for, for want of a better <laughs> word, to be an absolute nightmare, frankly, on a Saturday afternoon. But I think, what do I? I think uh, this season, frankly, might as well not have happened. I think mm. we're in exactly the same place. I think, yes, there was a, a points-per-game finality to the season, but if they'd, if they'd avoided it... Um, I'd have said we're in exactly the same position as we were at the end of last season with a different set of players. I think you have to remember that this season's 15th is not a real 15th. You've got Bolton uh, and whoever else it was that had points deductions at the start of the season. You know, it was a, it was a slightly basket case league to start with. You know, if you, if you have a real full-strength Bolton in there, we're a bigger club than us, you know, let's, let's be truly honest about it. We, we could be talking a 17th finish. That's mm-hmm. not too far away from the, from, the, from the relegation zone. It's a completely different conversation. I think... Uh, our 15th is it flatters us a bit this season. It didn't feel like a 15th season to me. And we've no, no, no Bury like as well, is the one you're looking yeah, at. Yeah, well, yeah, no Bury. Yeah, yeah. so, and, and, you know, when, you, you know I, when I think about this question, Ollie, and obviously I saw this in advance and I had a bit of a think about it, I started to look at some specific statistic comparisons between the two seasons. So we actually achieved this season on points per game, less points per game than we did across the, 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 the games we played last season, the 46 games. So we didn't improve our points per game under Ricketts this season. And we actually um, conceded more goals per game this season than we did last season, which I find remarkable considering how well we said the defence had done. We, we slightly scored more goals this season than last season, but we're talking about, you know, an act hair on those. Um, so to me, I, I, I rank this as a stationary season. I don't think we've progressed as much as people probably think we did. We were only two points off 15th last season, so... 
you know, that's not a massive step forward. And um, comparing where we finished this season after, I think it's, what, 34 games to where we were 34 games last season, we're only two points better off. So we're within one game here or there of comparisons to last season. So to me, I, I, I couch this season as another season where Ricketts has got to learn on the job. He hasn't got us relegated. He hasn't crowned that magic formula to take us back to a Hurst-esque team. And I remain sceptical as to whether he is the man to deliver um, some more attacking, entertaining and successful football. And like all town fans, I'm waiting to see what next season will bring on, on that regard, really. Yeah, I think that's a, a good point, Glenn. On, on goals, um, as I said, I had a few other stats on goals. So we scored 21 goals at home this season. Peterborough scored 41. So you might go, that's a bit unfair, Ollie. You've picked Peterborough. They score a load of goals. Well, um, Wickham scored 34 at home and Accrington Stanley scored 33. Um, and Pompey scored 36. So 21 goals at home is, is really poor. We scored yeah. 10 goals away from home. <laughs> 10. So, we, seem, and, uh, need to pay, we, need, we seem to pick up more points on the road as well. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. our home form is 17th in the league. So really? not very good. Now, if we did state the average away ticket is £22 and you went to all oh, the yeah. away games, you would have spent <laughs> £37.40 per away goal. Jesus. That's um, yeah, it's not very good. No, it's not very good. <laughs> yeah, I think the petrol into that, Ollie. <laughs> no, I haven't put petrol, pies, beers, anything into that. Mm. Um, so yeah, I think that's the probably the biggest cloud of this season, isn't it? Going into next season is the lack of goals, the lack of entertainment, um, and probably more questions um, than answers than we had probably the end mm. of last season. There's probably more mm. questions going into this season. Yeah, I got. A couple of messages when Sam Ricketts, when the, the news broke that he was Bookie's favourite um, for the Bolton job. And I got <laughs> two messages that I think, uh, more than two, but the, the two that I, I thought, yeah, okay, that sums everything up. One that said, you know, bigger, bigger clubs on paper, I know it'd be dropping a division, are interested in him because he's, he's competent, he's young, he's shown that, you know, he can he can get town onto a sort of national stage in the FA Cup and, and get them going in the right direction in the league as, as, as much as he had. And I had another message that said, I'll drive in there myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is that, I think, probably split right down the middle and that extreme in terms of, of the view of where the club and where the team, I, I suppose, more, more than the club, is going at the moment. And I think it all comes down to, do you believe that town have the right manager in place. That's the only question, really, that I think decides how optimistic you are as a, as a town fan going into whenever the next season starts. And Mark's right. I don't think that split's going anywhere anytime soon. You know, the summer isn't going to resolve that split. The only time that split will ever move one way there is when football kicks back off and results either improve or go backwards. It's almost like the swingometer, isn't it? And um, yeah, you know, people have got their views and their entrenched views. Uh, you know, we, we tend to be a bit more open-handed, Ollie, I think, is trying to like you do, Mark, I suppose, on the radio station, absorb as many views as people have. But at the end of the day, we're fans as well. Um, yeah, we have our own views and we, we do express those. So it'd be interesting to see where it goes from here, on. And I suppose that brings us next, to next season, doesn't it? And what, what are our ambitions as a club? What are your ambitions? Oh, sorry, you are, really, because you, you can say, but what are you, what's your ambition for next season? What are you hoping for? I'm hoping for some progress. I'd hope from this point. So I guess what's the point? So what was the point of this season if you don't progress? You know, yeah, exactly. you've got to make some progress forward. So for me, a team that's you know, is near the playoffs as a minimum, and at least look like you can be that kind of team. Um, 
we need to be much higher in terms of how many goals we score in terms of like average goal per game in the whole league. So for me, a team that's been more, it's basically a bit, a bit of everything really. I'm going to be a lot more demanding next season. I want a higher position. Yeah. I want to see more goals and I want to see more entertainment. So. Yeah, Mike Ricketts has had his feet under the table now in some respects, I suppose. And, and yeah. does that mean next season, you know, like Ollie just said, you're going to have slightly higher expectations or are those expectations tempered by what you've seen Sam Ricketts deliver so far, I suppose? It purely depends on what happens in the close season. I think the, the, the Bolton situation presents us with a potential, um, potential sort of palate cleanser, if you will, similar to the Mickey Mellon situation where we didn't really want him anymore, but we didn't want to pay him off or sack him. But somebody else came <laughs> in who, who actually wanted him. If you could get somebody to take Sam Ricketts off our hands for a bit of money and, and clean the slate, I, I don't think we'd be opposed to looking at that, I think, at the moment. He's had, he's had a season and a half where he's achieved you know, the net result of nothing apart from getting rid of the sour taste of ASCII. And as long as, if we could try and follow it up with, a, with an adequate replacement, then that's fair enough. If Sam Ricketts is in post, um, I am going to be more demanding because he's had, you know, again, he's had a free hit this season. It doesn't yeah. really, it's petered out to nothing. He could have learned a lot this season with the fact that he had to move away from his very defensive formation, his very defensive approach. If he can prove next season that he's learned, we've got to score more goals. We've got to be a bit more um, entertaining and attacking. Then I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. But, for my money, I can't see it happening, frankly. So he's no. got some winning over. Yeah, in terms of um, where he is, in terms of this sky bet, that's where it came from, sky bet. Some mm. guy had obviously put some bets on. He's now seventh uh, at 20-1 uh, to one with Chris Powell, Kevin <laughs> Nolan, Richie Wellens. So, yeah, it was really funny. Um, there was a, a youth court list, didn't you, Glenn? There was a really fascinating chat um, where some Bolton fans, and this, as you do, you know, it's Bolton fans. Bolton fans have got a bit of a rep, I think, in terms of social media. They... They're very sensitive when it comes to financial discussion, um, but like to see themselves as Johnny Big Balls um, now in League Two. Um, and there was a fan who was like almost was came onto social media, probably got really excited, got his phone out, got Twitter out. I'm going to take the mick out of Shrewsbury Town fans, and he got a wall of you can have them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and Bolton aren't going to pay us for Sam Ricketts. They haven't got a pot of pissing. Let's be honest about it. So you know, if he's going somewhere, it probably isn't going to be Bolton unless. Or he can just go just for. We just don't got to pay him off. That's the thing. You know, we <laughs> save that that expenditure. Yeah, I can't imagine it. And um, yeah, I don't know. We, we'll talk about ambition though for next season. And, and I know, Mark, we've done, what is this, the fourth end of the season review now? I suppose we've been going four years, haven't we? And you've joined us for all of them. And you're always a, a very staunch um, viewpoint that you think Shooter Town should be aiming higher than what we've achieved other than the first season that we covered. So I guess you're still, still looking for that progress, aren't you, next season? Yeah, I think you look at top half being par and, you know, threatening the playoffs being a good season. I don't, I don't think my, my view has changed on that, clubs yeah. of the size of Shrewsbury Town um, do that on a regular basis. What I would say is that we are still yet to see the effect of the massive loss of revenue mm. that yes. clubs are experiencing and whether that puts Town in a better position um, to attract better players. If, if wage deflation happens, if it frankly goes on for so long that Town get caught up in the in in the trouble that the clubs mm-hmm. are going to be in. You know, they're very, very well run, but they can't cope without revenue forever. Um, so that is yet to play out. But I think one thing that being without football for a prolonged period of time when there should have been football, if that makes sense, has, has left me thinking is what's what's it for? And I think I've decided three things. It's for it's to bring a community together. And one thing I'll say about the club is they seem to have handled the coronavirus stuff in a pretty morally sound way and seem to have done right by their staff and, and right by the community. And, and football's a great, you know, 
facilitator of social change and there's an awful lot of that going about at the moment and, and hopefully they'll get on board with that um it's about bringing people together and then it's about making you feel something yeah. and the one thing i left this season with is just numbness to it yeah. didn't make me feel anything i was mm. i wasn't inspired by it and i can handle town finishing 12th 15th if i've had a great time along the way um you know nobody's saying they should walk the league and get 100 points but no. yes they should be aiming higher and i think town fans should aim higher but also i think sam ricketts has to learn that you've got to make you've got to win hearts and minds and you've got to get people on board you've got to make people fall in love with your team and you've got to to make it a positive experience because if you don't and two of you have just said you're going to be more demanding next season. You end up with very little slack. Um, mm. And I, I don't think people will necessarily stand for three 1-0 defeats in a row in September without no. really kicking off. And no. to be honest, I, they, they probably, probably shouldn't. Nobody's saying win every game, but they are saying make us feel something. Yeah, the the issue, and and it's totally right, you know, you want to take the the, the fans along with you. The the frustrating thing about it for me is that for for years, working on the fanzine and initially when we started the podcast, I suppose, in some respects, is that fans had a lot of fingers to point at off-field issues. Um, And the goodwill the football club have put into the fan base through the supporters' parliament, through the community team, through Brian himself, who is an absolutely fantastic ambassador for our football club. Um, they're reaping the rewards of that, like I said on the last podcast, Ollie, in terms of no one's really asking for their money back, and, and that's a helpful situation. And to me, it feels like it's just that on-field bit that's missing a little bit and has been missing now for at least since the Hurst season, that we've kind of not been able to get behind a series of different teams on, and a couple of different managers. And if we could just get that bit right, it, it, I always think that like the Hurst season, it can just go off into the stratosphere and everyone can just be going in the same direction. But we certainly haven't seen the football since Hurst left that has, has really galvanised the fan base at all during those two seasons for me, Mike. It, it goes back to what, I mean, I, we always bang on about him. Like poor old Paul Hurst. Let's just get him back because that's what everybody wants, really. But <laughs> it goes back to what he said, is that, um, is that it's not a hard place to play your football and it's not the most demanding crowd. So it doesn't take much to get us to go with it. It doesn't, it, we're not, like Mark says, we're not asking for 100 points in champagne football. We're asking for a competitive team who look like they're putting the role in, who look like they enjoy playing for the football club and want to play for the football club and the odd goal and win along the way. I'm not, I'm, I'm not sitting there asking for too much. And no. It, it just hasn't materialised in 18 months of Sam Ricketts' tenure. Can I see that changing? That's the big question. And can enough people see it changing that he gets enough rope at the start of the season to go six, seven, eight games trying to build something again? Like Mark mm. says, if we, look, if we lose the first three, all pre-season plans are out the window because people are going to be baying for blood already. And that's no way to start a season. Yeah, I think that's a really yeah. good point. He always goes into the season. We always talk about new, new managers have like a, the first 10 games are really key for them. And it's almost okay. going to be a test when we get to that 10-point game. And it feels like he's almost starting with no, no real kudos points. He hasn't got brownie points going into the new season. He's almost starting for fresh. I don't know what you think about that, Mark. Yeah, the, the other thing I was going to say is he's, he's in a decent position in terms of players that have got contracts. I'm sure we'll go mm. through the sort of the squad for next season. But if you look mm. at it, they, they haven't got a full squad, but they've got close to it. And at a time where we may well see a shortened pre-season, at a time where what is done in terms of transfers and, and contracts and, and how 
the the player trading market looks when the transfer window finally um, kicks into gear. When that is so uncertain, what he has is a core of a squad that's a known commodity, knows him and knows each other. Um, So again, I think that is another reason why people won't be as patient as they may have been in the past in that it isn't a total rebuild as yeah, we've yeah. seen in the past couple of years. Yeah. Just the first green contact, time, Mark. Yeah. Yeah, just before Glenn brings up the players that we've got, I think it's a really good point to raise. I did do a bit of um, very geeky analysis. Um, I looked at which team, what formations teams played in League One last season. Of all the teams in the playoff, their most common formation was four at the back. Basically, 4 3 3, 4 2 3 1 is the most popular formation. The two highest, most successful teams, and I say successful in inverted commas, um, who played three at the back were Sunderland and Ipswich. Mm. So they're the most successful wow. teams in, um, in League One last season that didn't play four at the back. So for me, there's a, a real clear trend there that the most successful teams in the division play four at the back. Mm. Uh, whether we could be that special outlier again, I'm not sure. But I think we thought it was just worth raising that. Well, we've got too many defenders if we do that. <laughs> so well, we get yeah, we, we'll, have we get got, <laughs> we'll have to get rid of some defenders potentially, maybe one. Um, but yeah, well, Beckles hasn't, as we come onto the retain list, Beckles True. hasn't signed yet anyway, so yeah. uh, n- not necessarily. But the other players you were just saying who are there next season, it is, and as Mark said, it is a really good base to build from, I think, in terms yeah. of we've literally kept our best players from last season. So Pierre, Goldborn, Edwards, Sean Williams, obviously Beckles may or may not sign, but then you've got Wally. Norburn, um, Sears will still be there. Brad Walker somehow ended up with another year on his deal that no one seemed to know about. Um, and then, yeah, we've got Donald Love still, um, young Ryan Barnett, Josh Bella will continue to play for the club, um, Sean Goss, Doe, Ebanks Landell. You know, these are all good players, in my opinion. Cummings obviously up front still. Whether we've still got Laurent or not, we don't know, but it's, it's unlikely, isn't it? So, you know, as Mark said, it is a good base there, Mike, isn't it, to build from? And, and you know, you could, as a, as a fan, to me, there's four or five little positions or players you think, if we can add that to that, that's yeah, something if, off. If, if you come at it from a from a who's their point of view, you know, Burgoyne, by all accounts, is a decent goalkeeper if he signs on, you know. Yeah, mentioned yeah, You know, at centre-half, you've got Pierre and Ebanks Landell. You can build something around that. In the central midfield, you've got um, Goss, Edwards, Norburn. You can build something around that. Up front, you've got Cummins. You can, you can build something around that. So the spine, mm. in theory, uh, around the, the, the quality of these players is there. It's about what can you build around it. Not even mentioning, you know, Sean Wally up and down the wing, um, and can the manager inspire them, get them enthusiastic, and get the best out of them? And that's that's the, the piece that it all rests on because you can have Lionel Messi and Paul Pogba in the dressing room. If they don't care, if they don't want to play, you're going to hide into nothing. So it, again, it all comes down on Sam Ricketts' shoulders and possibly that chap that does all the sports psychology with him that's supposed to be motivated. That guy, what's he doing? Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> Don't, he's already shouted at us at the meeting that we had at the start of last season saying your dad was very mean about him on a summer podcast he might, he might meet us next season and say your brother was very mean about him now, but well he probably will do but yeah. he's a nice enough bloke but, um, but yeah to me you know you can, you can look at it and think the positions you need strengthening are the forward positions aren't they we don't, still only have one winger if he wants to play with wingers he's going to need to get yeah. some of those in um, we could probably do with another striker of a different mould to the ones we've got and we, we could do with that creative midfielder once you've got that enough would probably come together to, 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 to say you've got a team there that's going to keep you safe for relegation and look to do other things. But I, I don't know, it's going to be interesting to see how it comes together in, in, the, in the window, as you say, Mark, um, with the COVID situation and, and how Shrewsbury Town can play that maybe better than some of the clubs that seem to be on their arse financially. Yeah, I mean, let's, let's assume that he sticks with the back three. And I think Burgoyne's there as a 
projects. They've offered a deal to Gregory, haven't they, as well in goal. Yeah. So they'll be looking for a veteran goalkeeper. So that's one potential <laughs> signing. There you go. Stranger things. Um, <laughs> if Beckel signs, they're, they're pretty much fine for, for centre-backs, even in a back, back three. Wing-backs, I'm not entirely mm. convinced by Love, um, but you know there, there's something there. Goldborn, Sears coming back off injury, young, unproven. You'd be looking to add at least one. I would have thought probably on the left-hand side, uh, maybe two. Midfielders, they've got a lot of the same midfielder. Walker, I think, is a centre-back in a back three, um, but a holding midfielder in a in Ollie's four-three-three. Yeah, um, conference but, team. Yeah. <laughs> but you've got you know Vela, if fit, should be a good addition. Edwards in the, into his mid thirties. Is he going to play forty-six games? Probably not. But they've got enough in there with Norburn and, and Goss. And, and people like that, Laurent, you would assume, will move to, to think they are two creative players short. So, yeah. again, you're up to probably, what, four signings. Worley, 33 in August. I think the jury's out. He's got a bit to prove, I think, now that he's not quite quickly on a downward slope. But, OK, you're looking at if they're going to play wingers or they're going to play um, some combination of... of three up top or, or two up top and one in behind. You're looking for, for two or three forward players. So you're probably only looking at six or seven mm. additions. And if and it's a big if, if coronavirus means that other other teams can't necessarily keep all of the players they have mm. and we can get crowds back into stadiums relatively quickly and people back into conference facilities fairly quickly and town can mm. continue to be in a decent position financially. If they're looking at, at picking up, up one or two quality additions here or there, they might be in a decent position. And again, I think it absolutely comes down to is Sam Ricketts, young manager, year and a half into the job now, able to kick on and show that he's the man who can put this together and get it up the table. Because defensively, I think they've got whether it's a back four or a back five, they've got a playoff defence if they had a decent keeper. It's then yeah. what they do with the rest of the team. That's a pretty good place to leave it, Ollie. I don't know if you want to add to your thoughts of, of where we're at squad-wise before we kind of wrap this no, up, mate. I think one thing, and what Mark said there, is, yeah, I'd agree with that. If we did lose Sam Ricketts, which I don't think is going to happen now, but yeah. my mind make my mind go this way, it's a very good base to work from. You can kind of go anywhere with this team. With this players that we have now, you can go, you can carry on with down the route at three at the back, or you could go um, and play a, a four-three-three or four-four-two or anything really. So basically, the options there, you're not constrained by the formation and the sorry the, by the players that we have. So we yeah, so we've got some optimism. I think it's going to be fascinating. I think the loan market is going to be key as well. And as we go into this, yeah, new season, whenever it starts and whatever it's going to be like. But yeah, I think pre-season could be quite exciting. Probably the most exciting pre-season we had for a while because yeah, we're not really worried about losing players too much. I don't think we're going to get 400k offers for players like Ollie Norburn um, in this this pre this pre-season. Um, so yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how how this all plays out. And one thing I would say, the Championship clubs are probably fairly well insulated. So if it's a player going to the Championship, the money may well still be there. Yeah, mm, and we might get the odd player from the championship coming down. Maybe they might trim their squad a little bit, so there might be a bit more quality um, going about. But yeah, it's going to be fascinating, and it's going to be a bit of a game of um, of holding your cards for players because clubs are clearly going to be offering less wages. 
So it's going to be, it might be that, yeah, a lot of signings get done quite late. Um, so yes, mm. team that starts, and I always hate um, when season starts with um, transfer windows being open, but there's rumours the transfer window might carry on open for a while. Mm. It could be that you know, the team we play for the first 10 games could be quite different to the team that plays the last 10 games of the season. And, and Ricketts has talked, did a, did a thing with the Shropshire, I think, with Lewis, um, talking about his initial thoughts on COVID and that he thinks squad in League One will be smaller for the next couple of seasons as, as clubs cut costs. Um, so, you know, we talk about who's coming in, but there might be a few of the, the fringe players that we might be able to think about moving on or, or, or cashing in or some respects. But it's, it's, it's difficult to know. But I, I certainly see us with a smaller squad going into next year. But as we talk about the players that are still here, Ollie, we should just mention this is our final podcast of the season. Um, we obviously do our, our player of the season um, for, for 2019-20 um, through our votes and the guests we have in every week. And this year, we should announce that the um, winner was Aaron Pierre. And, and I have to say, Mike, he's had a really good season, hasn't he? And I think you probably voted for him on the few episodes you were on, but he's a worthy winner of, of the start of the season, isn't he? Massively, yeah. He's, he's been by far and away our best player. Even when we were playing poorly, Pierre would nine times out of ten still be playing pretty well. He's, he's, a, he's our Rolls Royce in the team, really. And again, a player we need to build around. Um, so I'm not surprised he's won that because there weren't that many other contenders, really. No. Any names you'd have thrown in there, Ollie? I know we obviously voted on this, but who would have been in your sort of top three this season? Yeah, I think Laurent would have been up there. But again, his, his final ball and lack of goals um, pikes him back. And for me, Pierre was the standout. Max Pierre is probably in, in the top three, I'm sure, as well, in terms of my votes. Um, but yeah, for me, um, Aaron Pierre stood out um, as player of the season. Yeah, and that's, that's exactly what happened. Mark, Mark, we had Pierre first, we had Laurent second, and we had Max O'Leary third with Edwards and Pub just below, which obviously a smaller sample size than normal. But anyone that we've not mentioned there that really stood out for you as a good season that maybe could come again next year? I think Aaron Pierre was, was the standout candidate. I think Laurent's an interesting one in that the reason I mentioned championship clubs was, was really for him and, and Norbin in that they might be looking for cheaper options and might still have the financial muscle to, to pay for them. And a, a Norbin or a, a Laurent might fit that that mould. But the thing about Laurent, you, you've hit the nail on the head. He doesn't he doesn't do enough in terms of goals and assists. And a lot of the creativity fell on him at times last season. So for my, for player of the season, you're looking at one of the defenders, and Pierre was a pick of the bunch. So I think yeah. Yeah, it's interesting, actually, when I look at what our votes were this season. One player I think we maybe undervalued a little bit, Ollie, is Ethan Abanks Landell, who had a really good season as well, in my opinion, and ended yeah, up six or, or seventh. So, for me, again, I'm, I'm looking at him again next season as, as Pierre as those two that we could we do play for at the back. Those are the two I would be starting with every week. But, um, yeah, interesting. So, yeah, well done, Aaron. And I'm sure you'll pick up a lot more awards next week for the, for the fan awards as well. And, I don't know, Ollie, anything else you want to add on the end of this season? And, or should we wrap it? It's been a, it's been a hard one to put to bed, really. <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah, it's been, I think, yeah, I think we've done a, a good summary there of the season. Uh, <laughs> not one that I think will probably live long in the memory because of COVID, not the football. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I guess it's just to say um, thanks um, to Mike and, um, and Mark for joining us on the, on the end of season podcast. Really, really appreciate your contribution. Yes, no worries. No problem. And we'll do it all again next year, Ollie, with uh, whatever season presents itself in front of us. I'm sure it'll be uh, 
as usual, there's always entertainment at the end of the year, and it's always good to, to put these capstones on, on these seasons and, and figure out where we are. But yeah, it's been really enjoyable. We've had a few technical glitches, haven't we, during this? So it's nice to get it all <laughs> put away. But um, yeah, hopefully everyone enjoys their summer and uh, keeps an eye on the ins and outs of the football club. And I, on my behalf, I'd just like to thank everyone for listening to the podcast this year. I know it's been a challenging season with everything that's going on and, and um, the, the whole COVID, the lockdown situation. So we appreciate every listen we've had during this during this difficult period. And um, we'll be back when we are next season with regular pods following football again which will be nice so um, yeah I'm looking forward to it mate yep cheers guys thanks for listening smashed away downfield and the uh, flick on falls to Cummings he's got away from Lovren and he scored the substitute's done it again Jason Cummings has two and Shrewsbury are level 